who was delivered up from our or our trespasses and raised for our justification. Amen. Uh, from, from this passage, I want to I wanna borrow a phrase from this passage found in verse 18 and use it for a theme. And that phrase is hope against hope. I'd like to lift that as a theme from this passage, hope against hope. I'll talk more about what, what that means uh, in a minute, but let me say this first. All throughout Scripture, uh, not just Scripture, but also in life, we see proof that divine intervention always trumps conventional wisdom and impossible odds. All throughout Scripture, we see evidence of that. And you can look at your own life, but let's look at some things, some places in Scripture where we see evidence of this. Uh, we see it in places like Joshua chapter 6, where the Israelites, upon entering the promised land, defeat the fortified gateway city of Jericho by doing nothing more but simply marching and shouting. You remember the story? They've just entered into the promised land, and they receive this crazy instruction Joshua gives them that we're going to march around the city one time for six days and not say a word. The priests are going to blow the, blow the trumpets, but then on the seventh day, we're going to march not one time, but we're going to march seven times. And on the seventh time, those of you that have been quiet every day, because of, he, he asked them not to say a word, just march as the horns blew. On the seventh day, on the seventh time, when you hear the horn blow, shout. Bible says that against all odds, when they shouted, the walls of Jericho came falling down. We see it in places like uh, Judges chapter 7, where Gideon leads a charge against 135,000 Midianites and defeats them with an army of only 300 by doing nothing more than blowing trumpets and breaking jars and shouting. They, uh, they shouted. When they shouted, they defeated the army who was scared when they heard the 300 men shout the sword of the Lord in Gideon. And all, that was all that was required, required against long odds, against all odds. They defeated the army. We see it in places like 1 Samuel chapter 16, where a young shepherd boy named David, who was the least likely to succeed among his brothers and wasn't even invited to the selection celebration, was anointed as the second and greatest king in all of Israel's history. Uh, we see it also in places like 1 Samuel chapter 17, where this same ruddy, inexperienced David confronts a nine-foot-tall giant named Goliath in the Valley of Elah. He kills him with nothing more than a slingshot and a smooth stone cuts off his head for defying the armies of the Lord of hosts. All evidence of how God's intervention, how uh, God's intervention uh, helps to overcome long odds and defeat conventional wisdom. We see it in places like the book of Nehemiah where he's serving as the king's cupbearer. You remember the story? He gets word that his homeland, Jerusalem, lies in ruins and with the walls broken down. Secure, he then secures safe passage and supplies, enlists a novice work crew 
and successfully rebuilds the walls in a record 52 days, all while being heckled and threatened by people like Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem. God's divine intervention on display. Then we can make our way to the New Testament where in Acts chapter 9 we see evidence as well. In Acts chapter 9, there's a zealous persecutor of the church named Saul who has an encounter with the risen Lord. And divine intervention during this encounter transforms someone who conventional wisdom said was not likely to be used by God for anything good. In fact, uh, history says that Christians were afraid of Saul. But he transforms him by way of divine intervention into the great apostle of the New Testament era, the writer of three quarters of the New Testament, and changes his name from Saul to Paul. Uh, I, can, I, can, I can make it personal and tell you, uh, not only do we see it in Scripture, but I can tell you how the Lord changed my life by way of divine intervention. Some of you can testify the same thing. How could God take somebody who felt as though they were so uh, unworthy, so unqualified to do what God has called me to do and, and, and transform by way of divine inter intervention. Someone, see, let me, let me just tell you, when the when, when Lord called me to preach, I fought it with everything I had, Dave, because I thought surely he couldn't use somebody like me to do. I mean, I, I, you know, I, didn't, I, I was shy, didn't, didn't, didn't really feel comfortable speaking in front of people. Didn't, and then when I did have a chance, I was nervous, didn't know what to say, didn't think I was qualified to do it. And, and for those of you that grew up in the black church, which I grew up in, uh, one of the things that I thought disqualified me, some of y'all are not going to understand this and not going to relate to it, but one of the things I thought, surely God, you're not calling me to this because some of y'all are going to say, Amen. I don't sing. I guess so more y'all got that than I thought would get it. Because <laughs> in the black church experience, the preacher, for the most part, need to know how to sing. And I thought, Cody, I said, Lord, you've got to be making a mistake. I even tried it. Now nah, I said, yeah, yeah, thank you. Y'all too kind. Too kind. I mean, I can carry a tune a little bit, but I'm saying some of you know, you got to be able to really... You, you got to be like Michael. <laughs> Let me just say, he's, he's back there. <laughs> and so and for years I fought that. I'm like, did you really call me to that? I, I don't, did, no, nobody in my family. My, most of the time also, not only uh, do, do you need to be able to sing, but most of the time you see that there's a long line of preachers, right? And I had nobody. My dad wasn't a preacher. Grandfather wasn't a preacher. I couldn't look back and find. And so I thought, Lord, surely. But by way of divine intervention, God intervened and said, don't worry about any of that. Uh, don't worry about any of that. Just, 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 I, I'm not calling you because you're qualified. I'm calling you because I need, I, I, I feel like, uh, not he feels like, but I've called you to this work, not because of your qualification, but because of your willingness to be used. And so we see evidence, and I know that most of us that are here have our own stories about how God's divine intervention uh, stepped in in our lives and helped us, allowed us to defeat long odds. We see it in Scripture, we see it in our own lives. And so in our passage today, 
Romans chapter 4, verses 13 through 25. Abraham uh, is still on the witness stand, as he was last week in our reading from chapter 4, verses 1 through 12. And up to this point, Paul has been stressing the role of faith in the righteousness equation. And so the, to further make his point, Paul pulls out an event in the life of Abraham where divine intervention trumped conventional wisdom and long odds. Paul develops the theme of the promise made to Abraham and argues that the realization of the promise comes about by the righteousness that comes by faith and not through the law. He's just talked about how in, 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 in 4, 1 through 12, how works don't have anything to do with it. We went over that last week. Now he transitions in 13 through 25 to illustrate how not only do works not have any part in the righteousness of God, but, but the law has no part in the righteousness of God. Paul will point out that Abraham's faith, not his works, nor his adherence to the law, but his faith provided the pathway for the imputation of righteousness in his life, as well as the fulfillment of the promise God makes to Abraham. So what does this passage teach us? What does it teach us as we read this? First thing I see before we get to the details of Abraham's divine intervention story, I see some other things. Because I like to spend some time talking about how God divinely intervened in his life and life of his wife to bring to fruition the promise that he had made. But I see some things before that. First thing I see in verses 13 through 17 is the fact that faith prevails versus the law. Faith prevails versus the law. And so 13 says, For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. First thing in that verse that I see is the word promise. So let's talk about what is this promise that Paul makes reference to here in verse 13. The promise that Paul makes reference to is found in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. It's the, we know it as the call of Abraham. And in Genesis chapter 12, 1 through 3, uh, the scripture says this, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and... Him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. These verses, along with uh, Genesis chapter 12, verse 7, make up what we know as the uh, Ab Abrahamic covenant. It is the promise that God makes with Abraham uh, and Abraham's descendants or his heirs. God gives Abraham and his heirs, the people of Israel, an unconditional promise. God promised to make Israel a great nation, to bless the seed of Abraham, to give, give him a great name, to make him a blessing, to bless those who blessed him and curse those who cursed him, to give him the promised land and through his descendants to bless all the families of the earth 
with a redeemer. It looks forward to the coming, uh, thousands of years later, to the coming of Christ. It looks forward to what would happen when Christ shows up. Uh, Paul is saying that this promise that God makes to Abraham, this covenant that God makes with Abraham, had nothing to do with the law. Didn't have anything to do with the law. In fact, the promise was given some 430 years prior to the law even being given to Moses on Mount Sinai. This was pre-law. He makes this covenant. He makes this promise. So Paul stresses the fact that the promise is not dependent upon adherence to the law. It's not dependent at all upon works. It's not dependent upon anything at all except for faith. And so in verses 14 and 15, um, he talks about, he helps us to see the problems with the law. The problems with the law. 14 says this, for if the adherence of the law are to be the heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. So he says this, if one must be an adherent to the law, to be an heir, then faith is of no use, and the promise then is canceled. If it is dependent upon your goodness, your obedience, then there is the promise is of no effect, and faith plays no part. It voids the promise. And then 15 says, For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. The law, Paul says, brings wrath. The law only reveals sin. It cannot help us to defeat sin. It only shows us where we've gone wrong. It only helps us to understand how inadequate, how insufficient we are, how, 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 how much help we need. But it does not help us in the area of uh, making atonement for those sins. It, it, it only highlights where we've gone wrong. The law brings wrath and it reveals sin, and that's what Paul says here. These are the problems with the law. And then in 16, he helps us with the solution. In 16, uh, he gives us a solution, and solution is through faith, because in 16, it says this, this is why it, what's it, God's righteousness and the fulfillment of the promise, it depends not on adherence to the law, but it depends on faith in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring. It is through faith. Faith realizes the human inability to keep the law. It realizes that salvation must come about by the grace of God or it will never happen. If it's not by grace, through faith, then it will never happen. And Paul points this out here. We, so you have to understand his audience. His audience believed that there was, uh, that, 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 that adherence to the law meant something. It, his audience, the Jews, believed that uh, if they would keep the law, this was the only way to secure their righteousness with God. They believed that, and Paul is fighting this argument all to, up to this point in Romans. He's fighting this argument of, against works, against the law, against all of that. He says throughout Time and time again, it is faith that secures the righteousness of God. And so then, um, 
he then transitions to talk about the object of Abraham's faith, the object of this faith. And so 17, he says this, as it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. That's Abraham. In the presence of the God in whom he believed. The object of Abraham's faith is this God he believes in. And then he describes what this God is like, right? What this God is able to do, the power that this God has, right? He says, this God is the God who gives life to the dead and calls into existence things, the things that do not exist. This is the kind of God that deserves our trust. This is the kind of God that deserves our faith. This God who can do these kinds of things, he says, he who gives life to the dead. He looks upon God, Abraham does, as a God that could breathe life into anything that was dead. He that quickeneth the dead can do anything, Abraham believes. He can bring, even bring the Gentiles who are dead in trespasses and sins to a divine and a spiritual life. He calls things into existence, the things that do not exist. This is the kind of God that Abraham placed his faith in. Uh, and by saying this, Abraham, uh, Paul says uh, uh, that he, this God is able to create all things by simply speaking them into existence. Uh, he has that kind of, the, his words have that kind of power. Uh, starting on this past Wednesday night, we began a Bible study journey, and we began, for those of you who didn't know, we started this Wednesday night at 6 with our new Wednesday night Bible study, and we uh, began as we're going to go through uh, some of the uh, notable stories in the Old Testament. We began with the creation account. And in the creation that our God is so awesome that he is able to bring something out of nothing. And, 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 and watch this. None of us can do that. But the way he does it is even more awesome. And it's more, it, it, just think about the way he does it, even in Genesis chapter 1, right? He's able to bring light from darkness. He's able to bring something from nothing. And he does it all. All throughout Genesis chapter 1, he only says it and it becomes. And so Abraham believed that kind of God. We should believe, uh, place all of our faith in the kind of God who can speak things that were not into existence. And those things that he speaks becomes. Right? And so Abraham places his faith in a God who's able to look out over nothing and speak and suddenly darkness becomes light. He's able to look out over nothing and suddenly where there was no sea, there, there, there is a sea. He's able to look out over an empty void world and he speaks and suddenly animals spring up. Somebody wins and I said, I believe it was John's wife, said, said these animals, she laughed and she said, she said these animal, animals were created fully mature. They weren't created, so she said, we know now the answer what comes first, the chicken or the egg. <laughs> she said it was the chicken. <laughs> uh, God is able. He speaks these things into existence. He looks out, and there's nothing, and he speaks, and suddenly there are animals fully mature. And then he speaks. He looks out, and he speaks, and there's plant life. He looks out, and he speaks, and all of these things that were never there, suddenly they're, they're there. 
Then he gets to, in, verse, in Genesis chapter 1, 26 and 27, to his grand finale. And where there was no man, God says, everything I've made is good, right? And then he speaks, and man comes into existence. And he says, let us, what does he say? Let us make man in our image and after our likeness. This God is the same God that Abraham places his faith in. And if you look at what he does in Genesis chapter 1, you should realize the reason why Abraham places all of his faith. Because this is the kind of God we serve. Who's able to speak life where there is nothing into existence. So Abraham, faith is, the object of Abraham's faith is this God. But then in 18 through 22... So I see first that faith prevails versus the law. And then in 18 through 22, I see this, hope against hope. In 18 through 22, it comes to life here because 18, it's, it, it says, in hope he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, so shall your offspring be. I like the way the New Living Translation uh, renders this verse. It says this, Verse 18, even where there was no reason for hope, Abraham kept hoping. Isn't that something? How many have ever been in a hopeless, seemingly hopeless situation? A situation like some of those I listed for you from Scripture at the beginning of this message where, where it seemed like all odds was against you. Uh, but you, were, you, you, you humbled yourself and called out to a God who you believe could intervene. And that Abraham hoped, you know, that, uh, one kind of hope is uh, uh, conventional wisdom. It's, it's this first kind of hope that's referenced here in this text. In hope, he believed against hope. The second kind of hope is this conventional wisdom kind of thinking uh, that says uh, it was next to impossible for this couple to conceive a child and to be the father and the mother of many nations, right? Uh, that was the second hope that they hoped against, right? This hope that said, uh, this can't happen. It's impossible. Uh, there's no way. But what I like about Abraham is, now he wasn't always perfect, but the, script, the text says that even when it didn't seem possible, he kept hoping. Even when it didn't seem like it could happen, he kept hope alive, right? And I think that that's a message for us, is that even when it seems impossible that we should keep hope alive, trusting in the God who's able to uh, speak things into existence and call those things that are not as though they are. This God is the God that Abraham trusted in and placed all of his faith in. So the question is, why? Why was it so hard to believe that Abraham could be the father of many nations? Why? I mean, you get a, you get a clue in the text because it says that uh, later we'll read that he was 100 years old and he felt, and, and it seems like that was the reason he was giving. And his wife uh, was beyond uh, years, right? Seems like that's the reason. So, so why, why is it so? Because if we look throughout history, the history in Scripture, we find there were people, even his father, who had children passed. Uh, there, there's some that say that Terah, his father, was somewhere around 130 when he gave birth to Abraham. So why would Abraham then 
think that it's impossible, right, to have a child at, at 100 years old, right? Uh, and, and then there's others. There's evidence of others who had, chi who had children uh, at, at an age that he was older, all right? Why, why, was, why was it, why did he believe it was impossible? Um, perhaps the emphasis is more on Abraham's physical condition and not so much on his actual age. Maybe he's only uh, talking about his age later to, to signify his physical condition. That, that could be a reason that, that it didn't have anything to do when he was 100 years old, but that his physical condition wouldn't allow him, uh, him to have, have children because of his condition, his failing health, maybe. Uh, but, and, and then likely it had more to do with uh, uh, Sarah's condition, her state. Because it talks about in 18, in Genesis 18, 11, it talks about uh, how she was barren. And so it was more of a challenge because she was beyond childbearing age than it was for him because we see evidence of others his age and older bringing children into the world. But he, he, both he and her laugh at this because for whatever reason, it seemed like it was impossible. It seemed like it was, it was hoping against the possible. It was hoping against what was possible for them to believe this promise, right? Uh, but Abraham, in verse 20, says this, No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. So Abraham, in, in, in spite of uh, long odds, in spite of what seemed to be an impossibility, staggered not at the promise of God. Uh, and this simply means that Abraham didn't waver. He believed without reservation in God's ability to keep his word. Now, those of you that are familiar with the story know that it seems like he had some weak moments, doesn't it? It does seem like he wavered along the way. Uh, we know the story, he, what, what happens as he tries to handle the situation on his own. Not only that, but he and Sarah both laugh when God comes and says to them uh, that, this is going to, that he's going to be the father. They, they can't understand it, so they think it's funny. <laughs> so did he doubt? He, he, did he have doubts? He had doubts. He had doubts. We see evidence of that. Uh, he, was, he, was, he was human like we are, and sometimes we do. We have doubts. Uh, in Genesis 17, 17 through 18, Abraham laughed when he heard the news that a baby would be born. But even though he had doubts, he ultimately trusted God in spite of his doubts. He didn't allow his doubts to detour him from his destiny. And so then, I want to say to you that there is, sometimes it's natural to have doubts when, when you face long odds, when it seems like you're up against an impossibility. Uh, but here, here's what, I, what we can learn from Abraham. We should not allow any hint of doubt to distract us from God's destiny for us. Because, because, Obviously, Paul 
thinks highly as he looks back on Abraham, not just Paul, but many think highly of, of Abraham as he looks back on his life and how he overall handles this situation in all of his life. He sees a man of faith. In fact, uh, it was his faith was so strong, his faith was so unwavering, even in the midst of doubt, that it was counted to him as righteousness. So then we see that his doubt didn't destroy his faith. It's possible for both to coexist to some degree, right? You can have a measure of doubt and still have faith in God. Here's, 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 what, decide, here's what determines the difference. What, what, what is our reaction? What is our reaction in the face of impossible odds? How do we respond when we're faced, faced with a difficult situation? Uh, because we're human, sometimes we waver. But what do we do next? Right? Do we, do we give in or do we trust that the God we serve is able to speak those things that be not as though they were? The God we serve is able to quicken the dead, is able to raise up life out of a lifeless situation, is able to give us hope when things seem hopeless. I don't know about you, but I see that in Abraham. Because he does become the father of many nations. He doubts, but he doesn't let it destroy him. Uh, and in verses 21 and 22, Abraham then gives, gave glory to God. He is not simply, in verse 21 and 22, he's not just impressed. Look at 21 and 22, it says this. Fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. He was convinced. He was not just it's one thing to be impressed with God. It's another thing to be completely persuaded about who God is. He was not just impressed. He was completely, totally convinced who God, who God was and what he was able to do. Uh, he's fully persuaded, convinced about what God knows, that God does not make promises that he cannot live up to. He believes that. And so he glories in God. He, he, he glories in in this God who's able to do that. Uh, and it was counted to him, 22 says, this is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. And then, I love the last two verses of this passage. And this is where we'll, we'll, we'll stop, but I love the last two verses. In the last two verses, I see this. In verses 20, the last three verses, 23 through 25, I see this. That this promise, was not for him only, but also for us. Here's what it says. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. It's for us also. If we have the, so remember I, I talked about following in the footsteps of Abraham. If we have the faith of Abraham, this is for us also. God wants us to believe his promises, no matter how outrageous they sound. He wants us to believe his promises. And if we follow in the footsteps of Abraham, we will do that because what God promised Abraham sounded outrageous, but he follows 
his faith anyway. And God wants us to do that just as Abraham did. And so Paul makes reference to Jesus at the end of this passage. And those of you that know the story of Jesus like I do know that the Jesus story sounds outrageous. Every aspect of the Jesus story from beginning to end sounds outrageous. But God wants us to believe it anyway. God wants us to have faith in it and trust that it's the truth anyway. Every part of from beginning to end. In fact, the, the, when, when he was prophesied, it sounds outrageous because some of the prophecies that were given about Jesus sounded, you know, Isaiah said, says that he's going to be a man of many sorrows. He calls him a suffering servant that he is going to die. He's going to be, be stricken. He's going to be hung on a cross. He's going to die. All these prophecies given about Jesus sound outrageous. And then if the prophecies sound outrageous, then certainly the actual events sound outrageous. I mean, let me just share some of them with you. Born of a virgin. You can stop right there. How crazy does that sound? Anybody here know anybody that's ever been? Okay. I, <laughs> that, that sounds kind of crazy, doesn't it, Brother Sam? How, how can somebody do that? And then, then watch this. Here's another one. He, in his life, he healed the sick, all kind of sick folks. He healed the sick. Now, now to you, that may not sound outrageous, but if, you, if you're able to really have the power to do it, Jesus could do it. He healed. Uh, and if that doesn't sound crazy enough for you, what about this one? He raised the dead. Anybody know anybody? I know there's some stuff on the internet, but has anybody ever, anybody ever confirmed that somebody other than Jesus, he had the power. Doesn't it sound crazy? Doesn't it sound outrageous? He healed the sick. He raised the dead. And then, if that's not outrageous enough, he voluntarily gave his life by death on the cross as a substitutionary atonement for you and for me. Now, that doesn't sound crazy because Paul says for, for some, for, for, for a righteous man, some would, would, would dare give their life. But who would do it for unrighteous folks like us? Who would give their life for sinners? It's outrageous, isn't it? voluntarily gave his life. And then it gets crazier. He gave his life as a substitutionary atonement for us. Then he's raised from the dead. Now, doesn't that sound crazy? Raised after three days from the dead. Resurrected from the grave. Not only was he resurrected from the grave, but he's resurrected with all power in his hand. Then, if that's not crazy enough, he ascends to heaven, back to heaven, seated now at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for you and for me. He's our advocate right now in heaven, standing on our behalf. Now, if that doesn't sound outrageous, I don't know what does. He is interceding for us right now. And then to top it all off, to top it all off, somebody help me preach it. He's coming back again. That's outrageous, isn't it? But God says, believe, Paul says, here is the end of this passage in, 
in, in chapter 4, he says it's about Jesus and what Jesus did and what Jesus is going to do. The faith of Abraham will lead us to believe all of this outrageous stuff, knowing that we serve a God who never lies. The evidence supports the fact that he's worthy of our faith. Jesus if you, listen, if you believe, and we, we should because we have evidence now of all that other stuff, there's so much evidence that there was a man named Jesus. He did live. He did have 12 followers that followed him around. Uh, he was crucified on the cross. Uh, he did die, and he was, he was, there's evidence, there is all kinds of evidence. It's evidence that he did die, that he was buried in a tomb, that, that when they went and looked for him, that he was no longer there. There's evidence of that. Uh, uh, Non-biblical historians like Josephus have made reference to the fact there was this man named, there's no doubting that Jesus existed. There's no doubting that he did these things. If we can believe all of that, Courtney, and we have evidence of all of that, then we ought to look forward with great excitement and expectation to that day when he breaks the clouds and he comes back in all of his glory to receive us to himself. He says that where I am, there you shall be also. I don't know about you, but I believe that God has a mansion for me. I believe what Jesus says, John 14, when he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. He says, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go, I'll come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you shall be also. I believe it. Do you believe it today? Amen. Let's pray, Lord. We thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, for Jesus. We thank you for the opportunity to trust you and that in trusting you, Lord, you will bless us with imputing righteousness where we don't deserve it and that we will have a place in your kingdom. We thank you, Lord, for that. Uh, we praise you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. We want to extend invitation for those that may be here that would like to surrender and submit to Jesus. We want to give you the opportunity to do that today. If you're here and you're one of those people, would you signify, stand, raise your hand, something? Let us know. We'd love to pray with you and, and introduce you to the Jesus that we know as Savior. And also, you're here and you'd like to unite with us here at Bethel Hope. We want to give you that opportunity and extend that invitation as well. So if you're here and you'd like to do that, would you let us know by Standing or raising your hand or letting us know that you are willing or wanting to do that as well. By the way, 
on that note, as it was announced this morning, we, do, we are having a Discover Bethel on next Sunday. Uh, for those of you that have joined and need to do that, need to go through that class, or for those of you that are considering it and want to learn more about uh, Bethel, we invite you to stay on next Sunday uh, as we have uh, Discover Bethel. So be mindful and remember that. If there's, if there's no one, if there's all, there's nothing else, and then let's go to the Lord in prayer and prepare to be dismissed. Don't forget that we have leadership meeting immediately following service. We should have lunch. Has lunch arrived? Thank you, Juan. Um, don't forget also we have a prayer team available. Uh, if you'd like to have prayer, Dennis, Donna, lead our prayer team. And they'd love to pray with you after service if you so desire. Dennis is right there standing and ready. Lord, we thank you. Uh, we praise you. Lord, we ask you to go with us as we prepare to depart. Pray that, Lord, you would make the way clear that no hurt, harm, evil, nor danger will be able to overtake us. We thank you, Lord. Now to him who is able to keep us from falling and present us faultless before his presence with exceeding joy. To the only wise God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, dominion, and power both now and forever. Let us all say, Amen. You're dismissed. sinful nature we say well there's no law against it right
Let the church say. Let the church say.